Psalm 9, verse 1 says this, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all thy wonders. I will be glad and exalt in thee. I will sing praise to thy name almost high. Psalm 57, verse 9. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to thee among the nations, for thy loving kindness is great to the heavens and thy truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Psalm 109, verse 30. With my mouth I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord, and in the midst of the many I will praise him. Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Tremendous truths, right? And that's what we've come here tonight to do, is to worship God and to thank him publicly and to thank him openly. You look at the Psalms and you see that a repeated theme uh, over and over, the call to praise God, the call to thank him. Uh, as the, the Bible continually stresses the importance of giving thanks uh, to God as God's people, especially we're to, to give thanks and give thanks to him in all things. You see that repeatedly in the Old Testament, First uh, Chronicles 16.34, I'll give thanks to the Lord for his good, his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 50, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Psalm 90, verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 100, 100, verse 4, 105, verse 1, uh, 106, verse 1, Psalm 107, uh, verse 1, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, Psalm 136, verses 1, 2, 3, and 26, all basically say the same thing, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Right? His mercy or his loving kindness is everlasting. You see it all through the Old Testament. You see in the Psalms, you see it in other portions of Scripture, you see the command uh, to give thanks to uh, God in the New Testament. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Uh, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Hebrews 13.15, through him or through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips and give thanks to his name. So again, thanksgiving really should be a part of our life on a regular basis. Uh, the Lord, it was part of his life. He knew the importance of giving thanks. You see it in uh, Matthew 11, verse 25. I thank you, uh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden the things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Uh, he praised the Lord before, or praised the, the Father before he fed the, fed the faith thousand. In John 6, 11, he took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated. Uh, um, before he raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Uh, he removed the stone, and Jesus, uh, they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. Before he instituted the Lord's Supper, same thing, uh, Luke 22, when he had taken some bread, given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the, eff- the uh, essence of uh, you know, Christ in his uh, life was um, uh, thanking God. Uh, and, and when he gives... Uh, Thanks there in the Lord's Supper when he takes bread and gives thanks and breaks it. It's really interesting. And he gives it uh, to others and says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In essence, at that very moment, Christ is thanking God for the privilege of suffering and the eternal plan of God for the salvation of sinners. Paul understood the importance of uh, giving thanks. In fact, many of his prayers really are models for us to follow, especially in the area of giving Thanks. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. First uh, Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. First Timothy 2.1, uh, I, earned the, I urge then uh, that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Uh, Philippians 1.4, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayer. So again, thanksgiving really should be a regular part of our lives, a regular part of Christ's life, a regular part of Paul's life, a regular part of the uh, life of the New Testament church. Uh, really shouldn't be something that only happens uh, once a year. Uh, without going into all the details, there's a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, verse 16 it's kind of a picture of a a church service at the time and it says there otherwise if you bless in the spirit only how will one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks Uh, since he does not know what you're saying verse 17 for your giving thanks well enough but the other man is not edified so it just uh, again the point there is that thanksgiving was a part of the regular assembly when they met together and that really should be a part of what we do when we meet together uh, in, in response to God and his goodness. So again, thanksgiving is the command of the believer. It's the activity of Christ when he was here on earth. It was part, uh, pattern in the Old Testament. It was part of the pattern and practice of Paul. It was the practice of the early church. And in fact, it's also the activity in heaven. Um, in Revelation seven eleven says, All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne, worshiped God, saying, Amen, and blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be our god forever and ever amen so this evening we have the privilege of coming together and doing that very thing together corporately uh, in prayer and thanksgiving to god as we stop and consider god uh, his nature his character his goodness and then thanking for all all he is and all the wonderful things that he's done for us and continues to do for us so tonight's going to be a little different if it's your first time with us on a thanksgiving eve uh, service it's not going to be a normal exposition of a text but a few thoughts that I think will connect, not too rambling, but some things for us to consider from the Word of God. And then along the way, hopefully that will stimulate your mind to uh, think about just how good God has been to you and how good God is always to us over this last year, and then we can give thanks together. So tonight I'm going to speak for a few minutes, and then I'm going to stop and give you an opportunity to say publicly what you're thankful for. You're going to stand right where you're at or sit with your, where you're at, whatever, but you're going to speak loud and you're going to set, tell us what you're publicly thankful for so we can rejoice along with you. And then we're going to do something a little bit different tonight that we've not done before. Uh, we're going to do like if you were with us on uh, that business meeting evening, we just kind of stopped and prayed in little groups of people where we were, and we're going to do that. So we're going to stop and pray together just for a few moments in small groups, and uh, then we're going to conclude our time to, together by uh, taking, taking the Lord's Supper uh, together so that's that's the plan for the evening now bruce alluded to this the other day uh, and i thought he was completely accurate you know in a secular society uh, the idea of giving thanks let alone um a lifestyle of giving thanks is almost non-existent because we're in an increasingly secular society that has abandoned god we have no understanding the society has no understanding of whom or what or why they're even, or why we're even celebrating Thanksgiving. Because if you think about it, giving thanks is an inherently religious activity. And if you don't believe in God, then you have no one to be thankful to. And you stop and think about that reality again. Thanksgiving implies a who or a whom. 
Uh, because if we're all here uh, by the product of chance times 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 nothing or no one, if there's no creator, if the world and the universe exist by nothing more than a cosmic accident, if there's no God outside of ourselves, then there's no one to whom we can express thanksgiving. Because you can't be thankful to a cosmic accident, right? So again, Thanksgiving has become, for the most part, for most people, nothing more than a ritualistic date on the calendar, the third uh, Thursday of November, at least in this country. It's celebrated on different uh, days around the world for different reasons, on a different day. Therefore, I think the devil's probably pretty happy with the way we celebrate Thanksgiving here in this culture. Because really, Thanksgiving in the culture is nothing more than a, a festival of gluttony, of mindless entertainment, self-indulgence, a day which to watch football and get ready for the quote-unquote Black Friday sales events that now start on Monday of Thanksgiving week, right? Long gone are the days in the culture where Thanksgiving was celebrated because men in this country actually were thankful and actually wanted to honor God for his provision. And the sad fact is that the very heart of rebellion uh, against God, uh, the very uh, core, I think, of the, the beginning of all sin really is ingratitude. Romans 1 verse 20 says, Even though they knew God, they did not <clears throat> honor him as God or give thanks. And Paul's not writing there, about, or writing there to just some people. Uh, he's really writing about all people. If you stop and think about it, it really is a description uh, of uh, the rebellion against God by mankind that's really part of the fall. That, it's the origin. Its origin is in the fall. Uh, this is the lot of all men, un- ingratitude. Because the Bible says that every man knows that God exists. Every man, every man knows that by way of creation, by way of conscience. Uh, God imp- uh, presses that truth upon their, their mind. Uh, again, the creation of the conscience. So the, the world and every man in the world knows God exists, but they will not worship him. Uh, they refuse to worship him. They refuse and do not honor him as God. So again, ingratitude really marks the heart of the unbeliever. Rather than worshiping him or honoring him or thanking him, the world despises him. Uh, the world despises grace. It despises his goodness that he wants to grant to men who would repent. So again, ingratitude really is, uh, or a lack of thankfulness really is the sin that's at the very heart of the rebellion against God. It's that which characterizes the unregenerate man. And it's interesting, in, in the book of Romans, it's right at the top of the list of all that damning, excuse me, series of uh, sins listed there towards the end of that chapter. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. It all starts with ingratitude, a failure to honor and to worship God. Now, Paul told Timothy that's what you would expect to see, and you shouldn't be surprised at it in a secular, godless culture in the last days. 2 Timothy 3 1 says, Realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. So again, in the time in which we live, uh, it's characterized by ingratitude or unthankfulness. And and, and again, that's going to be more characteristic, even more visibly seen uh, amongst the unregenerate people. And and the closer we come to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, people are going to become more and more wicked and they're going to become less and less thankful. 
And again, that's exactly what you see in the culture. People are unthankful. People are constantly complaining, constantly bickering about everything, hardly ever giving thanks. Now, that's the culture, but that's not the way it should be for the believer. Paul told the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we are to give thanks, and that word there is present active, uh, imperative. It's a mood of command. So it's something that we should be doing presently, actively, all of the time, again, by way of God's command. And in doing so, in giving thanks, we ultimately turn our attention away from ourselves that actually crucifies self, and we recognize God as the source of everything. Uh, we recognize God as the source of uh, uh, all of our life, control of our life. He, he's the sovereign. Uh, he's the ruler of everything, ordains all in our life, provides us all in our life. So giving thanks to God really goes beyond the present circumstance, the immediate circumstances uh, of our life, and really takes us to the throne room of God, to the presence of God, the person of God, and then really to the plan of God. Because the plan of God, the person of God, he's already revealed to us himself throughout the scripture, but he has said specifically that in our lives he is working all things together for our good, right? For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So again, the believer who's thankful sees God's hand in everything. Therefore, the giving of thanks really is the ultimate act of praise and worship for the believer. Because thanking God says, in essence, I'm going to bow my knee to you. I'm going to acknowledge my I'm going to acknowledge your sovereignty. I'm going to acknowledge your goodness, even in hard times. I'm going to submit myself to you, to your will, and I'm going to be thankful for all things and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ. Even in the difficult times, I'm going to submit myself to your will and to your purposes. So again, thanksgiving for the believer really is a theological task. It's our vocation as believers. And really thankfulness or giving of thanks really should drive everything that we do as believers. Because believing or being thankful in every situation, every circumstance is countercultural. Thankfulness is the opposite of the way the world reacts. And as believers, right, you and I as believers in Christ, we really should be opposite to the way the world reacts and everything. Again, the world moans, complains, gripes. Every situation, every circumstance, it's never enough. I want more. I want it now. But again, you and I as believers, we're called to be different. We are different. We represent God. We're ambassadors of Christ in in this world. No matter what happens to us in this life, we're called always to be thankful. To always praise God. To always thank Him in a manner that glorifies Him. Again, Psalm 57, I think I read it at the top, Psalm 57, 9. Listen to the words. I will give thanks to you. It's a choice. I will give thanks to you among the peoples. I will sing praises of you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great into the heavens, and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above heaven, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. I was reading Albert Muller this last week, and I don't know if it was a recent article or a past article, I don't know. But he said something that I thought was really interesting, and I'd never heard anybody say it like this, and maybe someone else has, but I'm giving credit to him. He he suggests that thankfulness is perhaps the best, or at least a very wonderful Christian apologetic. A Christian apologetic. Uh, You you understand apologetic, right? It's a defense for the faith. 
Because if we look at our life and everything in our life coming to us first through the hands of a good God who loves us, and we are thankful both privately and publicly, that gives us an opportunity to speak to the hope that we have in Christ. And that's exactly what Peter calls us to do, right? In, in 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense or an apologia, right? A defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So if we in everything give thanks, no matter what happens to us in our life, if we're thankful, that gives us an opportunity to explain to people to whom we're giving thanks. If we are a thankful people, it gives us a wonderful opportunity to tell people of the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're thankful in spite of our circumstances. And if we're thankful in spite of our circumstances, then we're acknowledging the fact that this world is actually governed by a person, a supreme being, not a God of blind chance. And again, with, with, it's with intentionality. That's why I read some of these psalms at the beginning. Uh, psalm 9, the, the psalmist says, I will give thanks to you. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. I, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name almost high. Again, it gives testimony to the fact that there's hope, there's help, there's someone outside of ourselves to whom we can praise and actually give thanks to. So again, thanksgiving, really for the believer, becomes the supreme act of worship. To give thanks always in all situations. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, even the Father. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do and word or deed to all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Hebrews 13, 15, again, through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that we that give thanks to his name. May we're always to be thankful for everything. But obviously, as believers in Christ, we are eternally thankful for the saving grace that God has accomplished in and through our life by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So very quickly, I want you to take your Bible and turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I'll just dive in at verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saint, or inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. Now, again, it's not going to be a full exposition, but just some thoughts from those verses as we're thinking about the concept of thankfulness. And when we come to the issue of our salvation, being thankful for our salvation. Paul says, first of all, we need to give thanks to God the Father. I don't mean this with any irreverence, but I think sometimes in the realm of salvation, we forget God the Father. We we focus so much on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're thankful for who he is and what he's done. But I think we need to consider God the Father. And that's what Paul says. When it comes to the issue of our salvation, we need to, first of all, thank him. We must not forget him because it was against him. It was man's sin against God the Father that caused the Father to send his dear son into the world in the first place 
It, it was God the Father who was offended by our sin. Yet in his grace and kindness towards us, he rescues us. And he doesn't rescue us uh, cheaply. He rescues us at a tremendously high cost to him personally. It, it was the Father who gave his only begotten Son. It was the Father who, it was the very definition of love, offered his Son as a sacrifice up for us while we were yet enemies, not when we were his friends. So for always to be giving thanks uh, to the Father, and we are, that giving thanks there is a present tense. It's the habitual practice of our life at all times. In all situations, we should be thanking God for his goodness, for his grace. And the only people who are controlled or filled by the person of the Holy Spirit can do that. In spite of circumstances, in spite of difficulties. It's only people who are controlled by the Holy Spirit that can give thanks. It's only those people who can give a true acknowledgement of the person of God, his nature, his character. It's only they who can think of him in all situations. And again, let me remind you, you're probably already thinking about this yourself, but when Paul writes this letter, he's writing it from prison. So again, irrespective of his circumstances, Paul was always giving thanks to the Father, and so, so should we. He says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance. Uh, the word qualified makes, means make sufficient, render fit, equip, authorize. It's God himself and nothing that we've done in ourselves that makes us fit or sufficient to have a full share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And the, the, the beginning of, of salvation, the beginning and the sufficient cause of salvation is God. Who God is, what God has done through the finished work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I know you know this, but I, it has to be repeated. If we're to understand the gospel, we have to fundamentally understand that the gospel has nothing to do with us primarily. The gospel doesn't ask us to do anything. The gospel, the good news, really is a proclamation of what God has done through Christ. That's the announcement. Proclaim the gospel. Uh, it, it doesn't say to enter into a debate with somebody. The, the text of Scripture is always just proclaim the truth. Why? Because men already know by conscience and creation there's a God to whom they're accountable. Just proclaim the gospel. Declare what God has done through Christ. Tell people, and we all also have to understand the fact that to make ourselves right, we can't make ourselves right. To get right before God, we can't do anything. We can't make ourselves fit to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. That's something only that God can do. God the Father, the one whom we're giving thanks, he has to qualify us. And he does that, again, what only God himself can do. He is the one who by grace saves us through faith, not, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest no one should boast. Now you know this as well as I do. The great eternal tragedy in, in the world is that so many people wrongly believe that there's something they can do to earn their salvation. They fail to believe the truth. They fail to trust God. They they, they fail to understand the truth that salvation is entirely the work of God by grace. And it's only God the Father himself who can qualify us. Before God worked, before God chose to work in Christ, uh, before God chose to save by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, 
we were all unqualified to receive the great inheritance of the saints in light. You're familiar. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them we all too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, or by nature children of wrath, even as the wrath. That's who we all were. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, verse 12. We were part of this group that had no hope and without God in the world. Titus chapter 3. We also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Verse 4 of Titus 3. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration, by renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Before God chose to act upon us in mercy through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, none of us were fit, none of us were qualified for the great inheritance. We're all doomed, all dominated by evil, all dominated by an evil world system. Dominated by our own sinful, fallen flesh. Godless, Christless, hopeless. Distant from God. Ignorant, without understanding, hardened, calloused, immoral, impure. Full of greed, hating one another. Full of envy, malice, practicing every kind of impurity. Completely dominated by sin. Completely dominated by Satan. Completely under his power, his control. That's where we all were before God acted towards us in kindness. That's where we were before God made us fit to receive this great inheritance. That's who we were. Listen, that's who we were before God came down and dealt with the issue of our sin and rebellion through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that we're qualified for was wrath. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And that phrase, share the inheritance... Uh, reads in the Greek literally for the portion of the lot. It just means that each of us is receiving our own individual allotment, our own individual portion of the total inheritance. What is that? What is the inheritance of the saints in the light? You know what it is. It's what? Eternal life, right? It's eternal life. And everything that eternal life involves. Listen. Eternal life, eternal joy, eternal pleasure, eternal delight, eternal worship, eternal service, eternal perfection, eternal righteousness, and on and on. That's eternal life. All these wonderful things God has qualified us to receive as an inheritance. Verse 13 says, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness. So again, apart from Christ, apart from God's intervention in our life, our natural condition, this is where we live. We all lived in the domain of darkness, under the power of darkness. We were God's enemies, and, and the whole outlook on our life was utterly and completely evil always. Colossians one twenty one. you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Again, Ephesians 2, I just read it, says we're all children of wrath. But here again in verse 13, it says this, it says, God himself... He delivered us. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. The word delivered used about 18 times in the New Testament. It actually means to draw to oneself, to rescue or to deliver. It really means that God snatched us to himself. 
He drew us out of the danger that we were in. He drew us out of the clutches of our mortal enemy, sin and Satan. He drew us out of the domain of darkness and those who rule over the domain of darkness because that would indicate the peril that we are in. And that's the, the peril from which God has rescued or delivered us from, this peril by his mighty act of grace and kindness through the person of Christ. So when someone becomes a believer and someone is a, becomes a Christian, they're delivered. They're delivered from a very deadly, dangerous, eternally dangerous situation uh, that again posed uh, danger to their eternal soul. So when we're delivered, we're rescued in a dramatic fashion from that person and those elements that threaten to damn our soul eternally. And a Christian is a person who has been permanently delivered, permanently rescued by the eternal God who never changes. He is the one who performed the act. He's the one who eternally rescues us through Christ, and he's the one who rescues us from these elements that are threatening to destroy us or were threatening to destroy the soul. So again, when you stop and ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's not just somebody who, quote-unquote, believes in Jesus or accepted Jesus. Uh, we're not talking about someone who goes to church. That's not a very good definition of a, uh, a Christian. A Christian is not really somebody who just says some kind of formulaic prayer or goes to the front or gets baptized or whatever. A Christian is somebody who's been what? Delivered. Delivered from the domain of darkness. Are you starting to see the Paul pile up the list of why we should be giving thanks to the Father? The one who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? The one who has delivered us, here it is, from the domain of darkness? The word domain, the power, the authority, the influence. Again, a, a rule or, or a government, a jurisdiction. Formerly we were all slaves in this land of darkness. Formerly we were all slaves in the domain of darkness, under the prince of the power of darkness until God in his kindness rescued us he delivered us from that realm and that deliverance is seen in a person's life that claims genuine saving faith because the characteristic of the Christian someone who has been now actually delivered someone who has actually been redeemed someone who's actually been born again as they now live a transformed life Someone who is a genuine believer is no longer who they used to be. Someone who is a genuine believer is now a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a... I'm sorry? Uh, 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 Washed up, washed over, cleansed, kind of dead man made in a good new suit. No, he's new, right? Completely new. Absolutely new. Old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. That's what it means to be born again, right? Born from above, the power of God. And, and that transformation and change, again, is not just intellectual. We talked about that last week, I think. The, the fact that the devil believes. We're not talking about just believing. We're talking about deliverance. We're talking about do, divine rescue, and you can see that in the life of somebody that actually possesses the life of God. That's why the whole thing in John 15 of what's a true vine and what's a false vine. That person that possesses the life of God, that power is indwelling him, that person of God, the person of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells the believer, and now we are delivered from darkness. God is the one who's placed this qualifying mark on us, and that qualifying mark actually happens to be the perfect righteousness of the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what qualifies us. It's the righteousness of Christ given to us 
that delivers us from sin, right? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that's the qualifying mark. It's the righteousness of Christ that rescues us from sin, that rescues us from judgment. It's the, the righteousness of Christ that gives us the power to live a new transformed life. It's the righteousness of Christ that actually allows us to love righteousness and now to hate sin. And not only that, but this divine deliverance that we enjoy places us in a new kingdom, a new realm, with a new king over us, which means not only has Satan been abdicated, but who else has been abdicated? Thank you very much. I know you'd get that one. Self. (laughs) Thank you very much. Self's no longer in charge. You're under the power and the authority of a new king, a new kingdom. Self has been replaced. And now Jesus Christ is our new king, our new king over us. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom. This is what God the Father has done. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And the word transferred really just literally means to remove from one place to another. Historically, it was used of displaced, uh, conquered people who were taken off captive into another land. So what Paul is saying here is at the moment we believe there's a complete and total removal, a complete and total transfer, an instant transference from, the, from one kingdom to another, from one spiritual realm to another. From the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And that's what God the Father has done. He's rescued us. Snatched us to himself. Snatched us out of that domain of darkness. Out of the realm of Satan. And removed us out of that realm. And the kingdom. Or placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we've been going through it in John. Christ is in us and we're in him. That'll never be able to be changed. I mean, it's unchangeable. As we've been going through, we were the past few months in the book of Romans. Uh, the question was asked, who, who will ever bring a charge against God's elect? The answer is no one. Who, who will ever be able to separate us from his love? The answer is no one. Because God has acted. His activity is finished. Through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're in a new realm, delivered from one realm to another realm, under a new king, under a new authority. Verse 14 goes on, it says, In whom, being Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So again, before we can be fit subjects for Christ's kingdom, we have to be redeemed. Before we can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's beloved son, we have to be redeemed. We have to be taken out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God. And again, redemption is only accomplished by Son, or by uh, by the Son. And it's due to the fact because He is the Redeemer. He is the only Redeemer. Verse 14 again, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption. That means the one who has paid the ransom price. The one who has liberated the one who's in bondage by the payment of a ransom price. And again, redeemed, you know, this is one of the greatest words in the New Testament. For those who are redeemed are powerless. They can't do anything to help themselves. They can't, uh, a slave can't liberate themselves. Someone who's trapped in the domain of darkness can't set them free, themselves free from the domain of darkness. We need to be rescued. We need to be delivered. We need a, a redeemer. 
Galatians 3.13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30, by God's doing, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Again, we're powerless in ourselves to free ourselves. Powerless to redeem ourselves. Again, the word redeem is used to buy back uh, either a prisoner of war or, or a slave, to set them free. So it's through the Son, the dear person of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the mercy and the grace and the love of God the Father, we've been redeemed. We who've been held captive by sin, we, we who've been held in bondage by Satan to do his will and his kingdom. We who are slaves of our own sinful natures inherited from our forefather Adam, Christ has redeemed us. He's freed us. He's paid the ransom price. How'd he do it? In whom we have redemption, here it is, through his blood. It wasn't the birth of Christ. It wasn't the teaching of Christ. It wasn't the perfect example of Christ that accomplished our redemption, our salvation, our deliverance. It was the death of Christ. Because there's no gospel without the death of Christ. Uh, there's no good news for men unless there's the shedding of uh, the perfect one in his blood. It's his death. Sinless God, perfect man. It's the shedding of his blood, and without the shedding of his blood, there's no remission of sin. And again, when the Bible uses the word blood, it's not just it's not talking specifically about the red stuff, uh, the liquid. It's really talking about the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Redemption through his blood. Redemption through his propitiatory sacrifice. He personally turns away God's wrath from our sin. So again, without the shedding of the perfect one, the perfect God-man, there's no redemption. There's no forgiveness. There's nothing that can reconcile the relationship and escape the prisoner from the domain of darkness except the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's why all, all the false religions in the world are of no value, because there's no shedding of the blood of Christ. It's only the shedding of the blood of Christ, only the perfect God-man that can atone for sin. Perfect God, perfect man, perfect God standing in the place of sinful men, bearing their punishment because he doesn't have to bear his own. He takes the stroke, do us so God doesn't have to punish us. Jesus Christ, it says, in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Again, release from bondage, release from imprisonment, pardon, remission from sin's penalty. God, because of Christ, judging Christ and not judging us, declaring us positively righteous, justified by what he has done through Christ. And again, look what it says there. It says we have redemption. It's present tense. Not only do we presently have redemption, but we presently have what? Forgiveness of sin. Now, we can thank God for a whole lot of things, and I hope we're going to do that here in a moment, but that's probably something right at the top. And what God has done for us in Christ. He's not asking us to do anything except to repent and believe upon what God has done for us through Christ. God does it all. It's tremendous good news. That's the gospel, the proclamation of what God has done, the good news for man. All the false religious systems in the world are asking men to do something to make themselves right. The Bible says you can't do it. It's only the shed blood of Christ that can make you right. It's only what God has done. So we are to give thanks to the Father 
and has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we presently have redemption, in whom we presently have forgiveness of our sins.